Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Podside Picnic. I'm uh, here with Gary Gibson, uh, who was on the show back in November. And we're going to be talking about uh, his most recent uh, novel, Devil's Road. And then, well, you know, whatever he wants to talk about. Uh, how's it going, Gary? It's going great. And I'm glad to be back on the podcast. Oh, I'm glad. Yeah, it, it was. I, I really enjoyed talking with you before. And I'll be honest, like this was. Uh, my conversation with you was the the first time that I had had a a uh, like a, a parasocial relationship with an author where I was reading his books and had those attachments. And then I got to interview them like that was a huge milestone for me. <laughs> a positive one. Glad to know. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, well, the first thing I should say, um, I love Devil's Road. And um, I'm hoping if people out there uh, listen to my advice, they will go out and buy and read that book. Um, one of the things that we talked about a little last time we talked was that the story had a relationship to Zelazny's book, Damnation Alley. I, I see that, but what I thought about when I read it was road marks. You know, his book with the, with the 10 assassins hunting him and you've got the, the highways going through time. I think um, Roadmarks is probably my favorite Roger Zelazny book, and I must have read it a dozen times during my teens. I couldn't get enough of it. Okay, so, so that's a yes. <laughs> yes, it's very much a yes. It's been a while since I read it, though, because I switched over to pretty much exclusively to ebooks once they started becoming a thing, and uh, Roadmarks wasn't in ebook or any kind of you know digital form for many years. Until quite recently, I think his uh, son Trent has been gradually re-releasing his dad's books as ebooks. So when I saw Roadside Picnic, I kind of snatched it as soon as I could get a digital copy of it. Because, you know, living out in Taiwan, all my physical books are like 6,000 miles away in, 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 in an apartment in Scotland. So I can't really get to it just now from where I am. Mm -hmm. Well, I, th I think that's something you and I have in common. Like we've both done a lot of moving over the years. And while I love my books, they don't follow me as fast as my Kindle does. I used to know someone who, when they moved house, they could put everything they owned into a backpack. And I had so many records and so many books and so much stuff. If I wanted to move house, it was going to be this enormous thing. So it really got to the point where I kind of downsized somewhat. And I'm much happier having stuff in a sort of a non-physical format, digital format, personally now. I mean, I still yeah. have the same stuff. I just don't have to physically lug it about, find storage space for it uh, and so forth. And to be honest, in a humid country like Taiwan, paper books don't really fare that well. Sometimes <laughs> they really don't. 
that makes sense. Yeah, that's. Oh well, um, go, going back to Devil's Road. Geez, what am I doing here? Um, what <laughs> uh, what other influences would you say were on that book? Like it's 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 obviously a Gary Gibson original, but like I can see echoes of other things that you read and enjoyed in it. I was just wondering if you talk about that. Oh yeah, I mean it's absolutely um, you know pretty much deliberate, and I wear my influences very much on my sleeve. I try and quote them and refer to them and have little Easter eggs in, in the book here and there. Um, normally, I mean, in my, I I suppose you could call it a day job. I do freelance work kind of advising people on how to write their novels. Um, I, I One of the pieces of advice I give is, um, you know, you're not writing a movie, you're, you're writing a novel. It's not the same thing. But this is where I'm basically, you know, ignoring my own advice and deliberately, you know, kind of referring back to, to films I grew up with in the 70s and 1980s. So, yeah, um, you got, I mean, um, one, there was one review I saw of Devil's Road on Goodreads, which said something like, uh, it reads like the third movie that John Carpenter could have made with whoever it was in The Thing. And um, I can't remember his name. Uh, the very famous actor. It feels like the third movie they could have made after that in Big Trouble in Little China. And I thought, well, that's exactly it. That's what I was trying to do. That's amazing. It's like in my uh, head, Kurt that's Russell. how it started, you know. And it was Russell. That's it, Kurt Russell. Except in this, of course, Kurt Russell has become a woman. So if John Carpenter had made a third movie of Kurt Russell, and if Kurt Russell had changed his gender, it would be Devil's Road in my head. Well, I and that that's really interesting because when I uh, when I read this book, uh, like. Uh, I don't need to tell you this because like you, you, you advise people in writing and you actually write, but like authors really have a voice and this book felt a little bit different than your other books. Like it felt a lot more visual, like, you know, from the very beginning, boom, there's a jailbreak, boom, there's this. And, you know, like there are little points where I'm like, Hey, am I, am I in the middle of kill bill here? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's. Oh, I like that. That's really good. That, that's a nice, comp- that, that, that's, yeah, I like that. Um, I think, um, I'm not sure how deliberate that entirely was. It's just that what it's really about is since my last book I did with Tor about four or five years ago, I was in a place where I didn't need to convince a publisher about which story I should write next. And I was, of course, known for, I guess, a kind of hard SF um, so I suddenly found myself with the opportunity to write what I felt like. So first of all, I did a story I'd had in my head for years called Ghost Frequencies. And mm-hmm. then I did a third book self-published following on from two others I'd had published by a publisher. And it was the same thing with Devil's Road. It was just something that had been in my head for a good long time. And now I finally had an opportunity to write it without having to first convince a publisher that this was something they might take and which I knew they wouldn't take because it was different from my other stuff. And I think if you ask most writers, most traditionally published writers, they all have stuff they'd write if they could, but they don't get to because the stuff they're actually getting paid to write is stuff that's broadly similar to what they're already doing. 
So by being able to yeah. have a chance to just write something different, that's really what's happening here. I'm basically just getting a chance to just do those things that have been in my head for a while and that I want to do. And I think if it's different, it's not so much in terms of it being less hard SF. I mean, it's influenced certainly, yes, by Roger Zelazny and it's influenced by films, but it's also influenced by, you know, like uh, Roadside Picnic by, you know, Arkady and Boris Dugatsky. And um, in terms of the, 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 the central thing in the island, the, the, the mystery, as it were, at the heart of the island. And mm -hmm. um, so all this stuff was kind of feeding in there. And also, I think what it is about is that the books I'd written until then were mostly about people being faced with something strange and inexplicable and then trying to deal with it. But for me, this story was more about looking, spending more time with a character and seeing how she changed over the course of her experience over these few days of A Devil's Road. And uh, so I was really kind of focusing much more specifically on the character arc, whereas in the past it was more of a balance between the character and the central idea. So in a way for me, really, it's about Dutch. And I think maybe that's, for me, what makes it a little bit different. And if it's less hard SF, it's maybe because I'm focusing a little more on that character, I think. And to be honest, I've never, I've always, I've always felt slightly disingenuous about calling myself a hard SF writer because a lot of the people I grew up reading who are hard SF writers, um, if you want to go way back, you know, I, like a lot of kids, I read, you know, Clark and I read mm -hmm. Asimov's. And then later on, you've got guys like Alistair Reynolds and all these people are working scientists who really do know what they're talking about. And I'm just kind of like a, a science fanboy off on the side going, uh, 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 okay, I think I can sort of get a sense of what this means and maybe I can turn this into a story. So, you know, I'm not like those guys. So I always feel slightly disingenuous calling myself a hard SF writer. So in a sense, that maybe also fed into the story, thinking that I don't have to be restricted. I can do something a little bit more outside of there. I can push the boundaries a bit and uh, and see where that goes. Well, did did you like it? Did I like? Well, you uh, uh, so this this in some ways was an experiment, like you you writing in this direction without a without a publisher trying to grab the pen away from you and move exactly. it in a direction. Yes, I loved it. I loved it beyond words. At the same time, though, I'm gonna I'm, I'm working on new stuff and I'm sliding back towards the stuff I'm perhaps best known for because that's really where my main readership is. So like I'll still do stuff like Devil's Road. I mean, Devil's Road is quite short. And uh, one reason it's short is that I'm aware that it's not necessarily the thing that my core audience looks for from me, but that's okay. So I can do this thing. It doesn't take up, it takes up less time because it's, um, you know, it's shorter. I can produce it more quickly. So it's more like I'm engaging in a mixture of the kind of books I'm known for and also sort of experiments in between them. And Devil's Road is one of these. I've got to say, though, I think it's probably uh, one of the best things I think I've written. I'm really happy with it. I mean, it still makes me happy to have written it. 
you know? I, yes, I, I get it because I'll, I'll be honest. Like I was, when I first started reading this book, I found it difficult going because I sort of had a, a model in my head of what your writing was. Yeah. And, and it wasn't happening that way, but like, it didn't take very long for me to, to really get into it. I, I think, I think it was a, it was a lot of fun. That was the idea. I mean, like, um, I just, I think it's just everyone, you know, we, you have these ideas stirring around in your head. You have to get them out somehow, you know? Yes. I, that's, that's really cool. I, um, I, I have a question and it would be easy for it to become a spoiler about the book. And so I want to dance around that Absolutely. if you'll work with me here. Go for it. So there is, um, uh, there is a character in this book that appears in another world of yours. And it's just such an interesting thing because both series involve a multiverse. Like, have you, did, did you commit to yourself? Like, is all of this a shared universe? Uh, you know what I'm saying? It's like, since they are both multiverses, is it the same multiverse? Well, uh, if they're multiverses, and if one accepts the notion of infinite, you know, alternate universes, then some are out there, therefore, anything that can happen will happen. Therefore, somewhere out there is perhaps a universe like Devil's Road, and perhaps there's another universe like those other books, and maybe they meet. And to be honest, it was just fun to do that. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I um I cracked up when that character showed up and I have like I I visualized a world line where it sort of split off into the the themes and directions of the other of the other series. I did actually consider but I don't know if it's going to happen now. I briefly considered writing a sequel to Devil's Road which did more openly combine those universes. But it was getting a little bit too close to the plot of road marks. So I thought maybe I'll just sideline it for now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, well, like, I mean, if if, if there were dragons, I, I'd, I'd probably call it, you know? Yeah, I did, yeah. That would be definitely the one. But I've got to be honest, actually, you know, you're the first person who's picked up on that. I was hoping, I was in my head imagining when, when I had finished it, I can't, you know, there's going to be reviews saying... I recognize this character. He's from the other book. Uh, Nada. Nothing. You're the first person. Well, I'm I, I, I'm glad to give you concrete proof that I've read the book. You don't always get that from an interviewer. <laughs> now, there's other stuff in there. This wee Easter eggs, little bits and pieces I dropped in, some probably, you know, completely incomprehensible to anybody but me, but they're in there, you know? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, and that's something like that. That character, as as soon as they showed up, was. Uh, I mean, it sort of felt like you were talking to me. I was in on the joke, and I loved it. Yeah, great, good, and it worked. That's exactly what I wanted. So, um, I kind of want to talk about your villains for a second. Uh, I have been, uh, I, I've been reading your work since about two thousand seven, and. Like there's 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 a class of character that shows up in your your work, and when they do, I I, I focus on them immediately because they're trouble. They are uh, the urbane sociopaths, 
very good at getting along with people, hyper competent, but on some level where they start to get distrusted or you start to figure out that they're bad news, that's when they uh, they well, they be- they become obvious and horrible monsters. And I'm <laughs> I'm just wondering uh are are they are they useful plot devices to you or is it are you just like emotionally committed to hating people like that? I don't I don't know how else to say it. I don't think that's actually been something I've been consciously aware of until now, to be honest. So you've got me thinking about that now because it hadn't really occurred to me that they shared certain characteristics. But you see, you know, when you write stuff where I, you know, there's stuff going on in in your own mind, in your own unconscious that appears in the story that you're not necessarily aware of uh, because it's, you know, it's coming from somewhere deep inside about a conscious awareness. So in this case, I wasn't consciously aware that I was doing that, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I can see it. I think um, okay. that if anything, what it is, is... You know, I dislike stories with bad guys, you know, the evil guy who's evil because he's evil. Um, he's just yeah. wahaha evil. And the reality <laughs> is that if you got to actually know some of the worst people in history, the ones who've caused the most harm, uh, you know, on a social, on a global level, then you, the problem is that you'd have to fight with your expectations of them being, you know, so evil, they're evil, because they wouldn't be. On a personal level, they'd be one of the nicest people you'd met. They'd be one of the most engaged, and they'd make you feel like you were the centre of attention. You know? Um, Sure. And uh, all these guys, you know, whether it's Stalin or Hitler or whoever, they shared these characteristics. There was a reason they could get large numbers of people to obey them and ultimately do terrible things because they were very, very persuasive. And because they were sociopaths, they tapped into whatever it was that was, you know, good for them and really bad for everyone else. So I think if it's anything, while I was in some ways not consciously aware of some aspects of my characters, the 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 the, the, the antagonists in my stories... I would say if it's a reflection of anything, it's a reflection of my desire to write antagonists who are more like real-life antagonists, which means people who, if you actually knew them, you'd probably like them. Until sure. until they went off and did something reprehensible and uh, genocidal, at which point you'd probably you know, either have been purged or be in too deep to basically get out alive any any way at all. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's really reasonable. It's uh, uh, well, it's 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 interesting to me on on the one hand the, the 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 positive side of this is that your villains do seem like people, and it's like it it makes them more fel- fully fleshed out, and you could you could pay attention to them. On the other on the other side, it uh uh. It, you, it might be possible to use that to drill down to a uh, an author's biases. Like, if you have an urbane villain, you can be like, well, 
look, look at this guy's politics or uh, I notice it's always the millionaire or whatever it is. And I'm not specifically calling you out here. I honestly, I suspect our politics are very much in line, but I, I just think it's an interesting part of this. I think it's more that there are certain people who take advantages of um, political and social turmoil to place themselves in the most advantageous for them position. And that's irregardless of, of their politics or the situation. Um, I, you know, it's, it, the, the, the characteristic of um, dictatorial societies isn't whether they're right wing or they're left wing. It's of how authoritarian they are. And uh, it's authoritarian structures that are the real problem, in my personal opinion. Um, sure. I mean, I tend myself to be broadly left-wing, but I think, uh, you know, like, uh, you, you can certainly see left-wing societies which have gone very, very badly, but it's not because of them having an underlying socialist economy. It's because of who's in charge. Uh, if, it, if it benefits them to be socialist, to get in charge, they'll be a socialist. If it benefits them to be right-wing, they'll be right-wing. They'll go with sure. whatever, whatever goes, and they'll be able to talk to people and convince them that, they are completely sincere and honest because they are by nature manipulative people. So uh, I'm I'm thinking about uh, like the the devil's road and the driving and the contest itself. Like I I realize that this is uh, uh, how do I put this not real. Like like the like the <laughs> the drive isn't happening. But um, like. Have you driven along the area where some of these things have happened? Like, how much of this was you you visualizing places that you've been to in the country? Well, here's the thing. Um, there's a reason that it's called, it's, it's, it's spelled, you know, it's not called Taiwan in the book. It's called Tijuan, you know, if you want, you know, to pronounce it, um, you know, like pronouncing the actual letters. And um, the reason I did that was because... Taiwan, real life Taiwan, isn't really large enough. <clears throat> a, a race like the Devil's Road would be over within about 12 hours. It's not that big an island. Um, so I thought I'd, I'm going to invent my alternative version of Taiwan, give it this slightly different name. And there's a precedent for that, you know. Um, Arthur C. Clarke wrote The Fountains of Paradise in the mid-1970s. And because Sri Lanka wasn't in quite the right place. He moved it about a thousand miles in some direction or another and changed its name to Taprobane because it suited the plot. And so in this case, it suited my plot to come up with a country that actually isn't Taiwan, but maybe be considered to be very loosely based on it. I haven't driven along those roads because the irony is that despite having written a book about people driving in a race, I can't drive. I've tried to learn to drive and I'm terrible at it. Not only am I terrible at it, I hated <laughs> the experience. I would cycle the routes. Some people do that. But like, um, uh, no, not really, because I, I don't think there's any need to get too, you know, we're talking about a story with giant monsters and insane superheroes and people driving cars in a, in a Mad Max situation there's no reason to get realistic about the locations. So I loosely based the locations on what I saw on Google Maps of Taiwan. Uh, I went and researched alternative names for those locations and I used those. You know, that's what writers do. We make stuff up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I certainly wasn't. Uh, 
I I wasn't like, well, why didn't you do this by any means? I was just, you know. Uh. <laughs> right, it's loosely based on things. There's, there's a mention about it. She passes through a gorge at one point, and it's a slightly renamed version of a real gorge that looks like something out of Valley of the Dinosaurs. And, uh, yeah, the cities are in roughly the same physical locations. I basically, I dug up the old Japanese names because Taiwan for a while was a Japanese, you know, colony many, many decades ago. And uh, so, you know, I could find stuff I could use to create this alternative version of Taiwan that isn't really Taiwan. It also got me away from the problem of having to try and get stuff right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that there's nothing worse. Like, I, 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 I used to play a lot of role-playing games, and there was nothing I hated more than, like, creating a world or a system and have somebody walk into my game and say, well, that's not how it works. Oh. And so I imagine for a writer, it's got to be even worse. <laughs> yes. You know, that's another reason maybe for doing something a little less hard SF-based is that I didn't have to worry if I was right about how it works. I could just be a little bit more free and creative. Sure. Um, well, let's. How do I put this? Well, what what what's next? I I mean, this was uh, uh, this was a a bold new direction, and in my opinion, it it paid off in a big way. Um, I know that you have a uh, a regularly uh, published newsletter that you've started doing. I actually just signed up for it. Um, what what other what other uh, projects can we hope to see in the future, and how else can we uh, uh, sort of stay in touch with your writing? Well, at the moment, I've got two completed novels. Um, they're both with my agents, and they've been doing the rounds of publishers for a while. But the publishing situation, generally speaking, hasn't been great for many people for a long time. And I don't really know what's going to happen to the world of traditional publishing uh, in the wake of the coronavirus um, yeah. thing. I just don't know where that's going to go. So as far as those two books go, I really don't know what's happening or what's likely to happen in the next couple of years. But for the moment, the one thing I'm waiting to ha for it to happen if it happens, is to uh, sell those books and hopefully get a deal somewhere and get them published. Um, in the meantime, um, having completed Devil's Road and having got that out in the road, I'm exploring some uh, other projects. I made my promise. I made a, a New Year's resolution. I was going to write a couple of short stories. I would write a screenplay. I would write another short novel and I would write another full-length novel, all of them in at least a first draft this year. Obviously, this is a lot, but um, I'm yeah. on track. I've done this screenplay. I've just about finished that. Not because I'm expecting anyone to buy it, but just to kind of have the experience of doing it. I've been yeah. plotting out a new novel. Um... It's a step back towards hard SF, but it also reflects my interest at the moment. I've been reading a lot of horror, and it occurred to me that a lot of the, um, the stuff I like tends to have elements of what could be interpreted as horror in it, or at least a certain sense of cosmic horror in a Lovecraftian sense. So I'm, there's, there's an interesting space where science fiction and horror meet 
This isn't about stuff being scary. It's more about that sense of the, 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 the cosmic insignificance of humanity. And so I'm well, I mean, that's get- certainly in the, the show sequence. There are definitely moments where that came through and moments of body horror. I could definitely see what you're talking about in your work. But the funny thing is, I only realized recently that those elements showed through in my work. I only really consciously became aware of it when I read a book, which has actually proved quite a strong influence on me recently. It's a nonfiction book by a guy called uh, Mark Fisher. And the book is called, uh, uh, it's either The Weird and the Eerie or The Eerie and the Weird. It's basically a long essay about the ground between science fiction and horror and this area which explores things which are just kind of weird and sort of eerie. Uh, works that would fit in there would be things like um, both... Uh, Annihilation by Jeff Vandermeer and uh, Roadside Picnic uh, uh, Picnic at Hanging Rock all these stories that explore coming into contact with the inexplicable and focusing on this kind of in-between space in terms of you know culture in books and in film and in uh, even in music as well and uh, so it feel, he says in the book that he feels this is an area that's underexplored. And I thought, well, I've got a mission now. <laughs> All right, I'm in there. I mean, it did occur to me, as you say, but yeah, there's elements of things like body horror and horror in my past work. But it only occurred to me that these things had been in there. For a long time, I hadn't quite been able to define just what it is I do in my own head. But now I do. Without knowing it, I've been wandering around this weird hinterland between science fiction and horror, but I only just found the road sign saying, this is where you are. And I thought, all right, I know where I am. This is where I live. This is what I do. So I'm going to do it more consciously next. So I'm working on a book called, uh, well, the working title is The The Europa Door. So that's kind of mostly plotted out. I took time out to do the screenplay I'm going to get back to that book soon. And I also have some other stuff to work on, possibly another short novel, which is almost entirely plotted out. So that's what's coming in the future. I've got two books. To sum up, I've got two books out there in the ether. Publishers, if you're out there and you want something, they're there. Contact my agent. Uh, I've got two more books uh, still in the plotting stages. I'm hoping to write the first draft this year. I've done the screenplay. I'll do whatever with that and that's where i am just now why okay so um it seems like uh i I, our last conversation was almost exactly six months ago and it's really sounding like you have had an incredibly prolific six months um is, is some of that just sort of the situation we're in where everybody's spending more time at home or were you just sort of feeling your oats like what happened uh, the world has been in social isolation for about six weeks, and I've been doing this since about 2006. So, you know. Okay. This is how <laughs> I live. Uh, um, I, 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 you, know, it's that, you know, I work at home, so I just sit and I do my own thing. I have, you know, plenty of time. I might, my work I can do in a few hours, and then I've got the rest of the time to think about my own stuff. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty lucky in, in that respect, but... I don't feel that productive, but whenever I've, whenever I tell other people I'm doing, I think, oh yeah, that does sound quite productive, doesn't it? Oh, okay. <laughs> ah, I'm being quite productive. All right, not so bad. 
So yeah, you know, it's just more like I've got a bunch of ideas, stuff that's been sitting on my hard drive for 20 years, just notes, and I'll, you know, I'll find stuff from there and I'll, I'll make something of it. Excellent. So um, I, I think we talked a little bit about it earlier, but if I'm, if I'm a first-time reader of Gary Gibson, where would you recommend I start? Would, uh, just uh, hitting up the Kindle and seeing what's on Amazon, or what, what's, what's the route to success there? Well... The book of mine that's been the most successful by far was my third novel, Stealing Light. So I figure that one's probably gotten the most broad appeal. So that's probably a good place for people to start. Um, Outside of that, um, I've got a collection of short stories that's probably reasonably indicative, indicative of where I am. Um, so those will probably be the, the first places I would suggest that people go. It's hard to say, really. Um, Final Days is a little bit more of a thriller, I guess. Um, it's not contemporary, but it reads somewhat con- in a contemporary style. Uh, sure. So, yeah, maybe I, I would usually say Stealing Light, Final Days, and yeah, maybe the short story collection. Fantastic. Okay, well, this sort of feels like a good place to, to leave it, Gary. Is there anything you'd uh, you'd like to add to the audience? I don't know. I don't think there is. Uh, I'm just scanning for your, your questions here, trying to think of anything. Uh, no, I think I've, yeah, off the top of my head, I can't think of anything else. Okay, well, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. It's, a, it's always a pleasure to have you back, and uh, if uh, we win... When the publishers get their act together and the next couple books come out, uh, let's let's revisit if you, if you're up for it. I've 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 loved doing this. Absolutely, and again, thank you so much for asking me to do this again. It's really fun. Absolutely. <laughs>